This is the Valaran Perspective, exploring work, leadership, and value in an uncertain world. This is Benjamin Carsage. I'm Aaron Smith. Welcome, everybody. Let's get rolling. Welcome back to the Valaran Perspective, everybody. Uh, we're really excited to share a new topic with you today, something that we've touched on in various ways over the last couple of years as we've been doing this. But, you know, something we're finding is really kind of core to our organizational philosophy, who we are as leaders and also our business. Um, and that is this topic, this idea of holistic leadership. And it's not a term I've heard elsewhere before. It may exist, but it's something we've sort of started to use to define and understand more deeply what it is that we actually think is necessary for people in authority positions to do and ways that they need to behave to actually create effective organizations. And, you know, the other part of this is that Ben and I feel very strongly, and we've always felt very strongly that leaders are the nucleus of anything that is effective and also the things that are ineffective about any organization. And that element of our point of view has sort of crystallized more and more over the years. Like the more we've seen, the more true that that becomes to us. When we go into a company and we start seeing opportunities and we start seeing challenges, the first place we always go to for in the beginning and the and the place we keep coming back to is leadership. So we're going to talk about what that is today and get into that. And so we're going to break this down into three sections. The first is kind of, you know, an intro to the topic where we're going to actually talk about what the hell that even means. What is holistic leadership? Why are we even talking about this? And you know, part of that's going to be a tie-in to the first part of this sort of two-part series, which is what we talked about last time when we talked about culture, product, and process. So we think leaders that are have acute skills, have deep understanding, and have awareness of in those three key areas, no matter where they are on the leadership totem pole, no matter what their specific role is, that is what we're talking about when we talk about holistic leaders. So leaders that understand the nature of culture and the impact that it has, understand the nature of product and how to build great products, and understand the nature of process and when to use process and what process is for. So that's gonna be part one is sort of introduction. Part two is going to be kind of looking at the landscape and understanding what we're actually seeing out there in technology, why these things are happening, uh, why, for example, we seem to see a, gl uh, a glut of what we call managers and not enough leaders. Like, why is that happening? And, and much more. And then section three is where we're going to get into, okay, what is the antidote? Like, what, what is actually needed? And what's our thought process around that? And how do you approach that? So introduction, landscape, and some some anecdotes around. Uh, I'm just, I just I'm laughing at myself because I'm using anecdote and antidote, very two very different things. 
Um, the second part is going to be, again, what is the landscape and what are we seeing and some, some stories that we have around that sort of illustrate what reality is for uh, people working in software specifically, but also probably in the broader American corporate context, to be honest, European as well, from what we've seen. It just comes in different forms. And then again, the third, the third and final section will be like, okay, how do we, how do we fix it now? So let's like kick it off. Um, you know, I want to kick things to you first, Ben, because like we've, I've ranted a lot about this. We've talked a lot about holistic leadership in the last couple of weeks. What, when you think about what it is, what comes up for you first? That comes back to what leadership is for me and like true leadership. Um, and I, I always, I always think about leaders as change agents. And when I think of holistic leadership, there's this thing that was coming to my mind, which was like, this is how you change the world um, through holistic leadership. There's other related topics when you were talking that were popping up for me. Like Jocko Willink, you know, talks about total ownership, extreme ownership, those, those sorts of concepts. And they are, I think, closely related. Um, but when I think of holistic leadership, it's looking at the world today and saying, I want the world to be different tomorrow or next week or next year, how do I create that future? And the a core idea of leadership is that I do that through influencing others. Yeah. You know, that like core leadership definition of influencing others towards a goal. Um, it's the vision to see that goal state and then the ability to influence and have other people move with you towards it. Yeah. The reason I like the term holistic leadership is because it's it is all encompassing. Yeah. It's not just did I make my boss happy? Did I ship a successful product? Is my team happy? Are they productive? Is everybody um, reporting better culture scores than they did last month? It's it may be any of those things. It may be all of those things. It may be none of those things. Because what a true leader is doing, what a holistic leader is doing is really understanding and, and challenging on, on the way often where it is we're trying to go and then working with and through others to get there. It's funny. You, you've often come from that angle and I've often come from a different angle and I'm starting to see that the confluence of those two things, could we both see each other's point of views on this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a and situation. For sure. And, there, and I think that holistic leadership, I think is actually becoming the confluence between both of our points of view. Because the way, the way I've often thought about leadership in, in the past, and you've often referenced this, is the idea of con- building a world. Like when mm-hmm. I think of the great leaders of the past, historical figures, you know, your Julius Caesars, your, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I, I, you know, even, even somebody like an Abraham Lincoln, I think that there is a, there's, there is this sort of painting a picture of what the world could be and then building and then influencing people toward that world. But I think that there's actually also the logical construction of that world mm-hmm. and the incentivizing um, and encouraging or discouraging certain behaviors within it. And so 
that that that's kind of the way I viewed this. And again, the reason I bring that up specifically is because that is really the singular thing we're talking about is that we're we need to move to a world where we're introducing frameworks for holistic leadership. Like it matters that your leaders understand the products you're building and it can think through the and, and, and see the world through the eyes of your customers. It matters that a leader at your company understands the difference between constructive behaviors that are happening on their team and deconstructive behaviors that are happening on their team. Not just goes with the flow and tries to roll with the punches and whenever something blows up inevitably, they have to fix it or manage it. That they actually understand the nature of what's good and bad, whatever that means within your context. And they, they can correct, they can actually steer the ship in a different direction depending on what that means. And so people might be listening to this and being like, okay, this is abstract, but you know, we want to be very clear. We don't see this most of the time when we're out in the world. And we'll go into that more in a second. Um, we very much contrast the idea of leadership with management. And what we tend to see more often than not is what we call management, mm-hmm. not leadership. Right. Like most of us, if you're in an authority position in a tech company, it is most likely the case that you have been, if you've been trained at all in your career, that you've been trained to manage things, not lead things. There's a big difference. I want a tangent for a second because I thought of an example when you were talking about that idea of creating incentives and behaviors. And I was at a company and there's a really positive example of this that I learned recently from a guy named Alex who worked at that company as well. Um, basically he was a lead in a particular discipline and someone within his space did something, had nothing to do with work necessarily. It was just a funny thing, but it was actually inappropriate, but it was, it was, it, you know, it was minor, right? It was, ah, someone's just pushing the boundaries a little bit. And you think about that creating incentive and how that drives behavior and how that links to culture. Um, and what this leader did, what Alex did is he called it out and said, Hey, that's not who we want to be. He did the awkward thing. He did the uncomfortable thing. Everybody could have else could have ignored it or excused it. If you didn't like it, it wasn't a big deal, but there was something was inappropriate was going on. And he just said like, no, we don't do that. And he, I'm sure by some people got labeled as an old fuddy daddy or like, oh my gosh, why are you making such a big deal? And there's no harm in it and all this stuff. He was like, no, that's not who we want to be. That is him, that is Alex in this case, knowing what he wants the future state to be and realizing this is not in alignment with it. And even though this has nothing to do with the work we're doing, the process that we're running through, the meetings we're in, I need to call this out right now. Yeah. Um, There's an awareness of a cultural identity there too. Yeah. There's, there's an assumed set of behaviors or an implied set of behaviors where he's like, whoa, that's not consistent with the way we behave here. Yes. And a boldness to speak it. Yeah. And to articulate, this isn't who we want to be and framing it that way. I, I worked with Alex a few times and, um, he grew, I mean, he was, he was phenomenal leader from the start, but he grew immensely as well. And you can see him constantly refining that idea of who, what's the type of leader he wants to be 
based on where he wants the people he's leading to go and where he wants the company to go and what success looks like. So, um, so you look at that and it's like, I, almost everybody else I've ever known, perhaps even including myself, I'm somewhat ashamed to say, might've been fine just letting that go and kind of ignoring it and uh, immature things that people do sometimes. And, um, and he, and he didn't he valued his role as a leader and he valued his role as a holistic leader. He was very aware of the environment he was creating and what he wanted to create. So anyway, that's a tangent over there. That's a Um, very distinctly, what I love about that story is it's a very distinctly not management story. He wasn't managing anything there. Exactly. He was very much setting a tone and setting an example from a leadership point of view. And that's that's that contrast is, is basically what we're going to be getting into today and hel- helping understand the difference. I want to talk before we go into section two here, which is where we're going to kind of explore the landscape a little bit. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about why this matters, because this again, these topics are tough, especially in our industry. Ironically, the same reason I think we gravitate towards management is the same reason why there's a lot of cynicism in technology about sort of like you said, fuddy duddy sort of hippie magic, wizardry, coachy nonsense that doesn't actually deliver any results. Like we're here to ship products. We're here to do things. We're here to make tech and write code and physically manifest things into reality. And I don't want to talk about anything else. And it's like, yet we all feel this pain all the time of having the same problems over and over again and not understanding what we're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, in every podcast, some example comes up. That's almost a meme, a software meme about like, yes, if you've been in soft, if you've worked in software for more than a year, you've experienced that. Right. You know, last time we, we, you know, we, we were with Darko, we talked about the faux roadmap, you know, all what's this dynamic where we've got leaders that are sort of fudging a roadmap that are building, building a project plan making stuff up more or less that they know is maybe 20% accurate, filling in all the boxes so that we can fulfill the management need to have the plan and to show it to the executives and to have the meeting and have the staff meeting and check the boxes and all this stuff, knowing all the while and feeling all the while like something's messed up and something's wrong. That is kind of the idea that we want to get to the root of. And so again, why does this matter? There's two big things that we see that are problems. One of them is that we tend to not solve problems upstream enough. Mm-hmm. And, what, and what Ben and I mean when we say that is the most upstream thing in your company is culture, is behaviors, like how the humans interact with each other. The most downstream thing is what's your process for releasing this week. Mm-hmm. Like by the time you're talking about how you're releasing your next patch for your software this week, you've, you've all, there's so much that's already assumed about the way your organization operates. When you're talking about how we should behave and treat each other every day when we come into the office and what's important to our identity as a company, there's almost nothing assumed. Mm-hmm. You're, you're at the foundational level. So what we're talking about is we want to have leaders when needed, when necessary, be able to move farther upstream to solve problems. Yes. Stop trying to solve culture problems with process solutions. Stop trying to solve product problems 
with process solutions. So how do we enable, how do we educate leaders so that they can move farther upstream so that when they do come up with a solution, it has a cascading impact. It has a much more broad impact and a lasting impact on the problems that they see. It's, it, man, I'll just call it out, even though this is potentially embarrassing to me. I just realized when you were talking about holistic leadership and when you've described holistic leadership, that's what you mean. It's like the leader who can operate in process and product and culture. Correct. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I was thinking about it and like, yeah, it's a great term. I really like it, but that, yes, that's it. And it's, it is looking across that and, and not getting trapped in, you know, I said earlier, leadership is influencing others towards a goal. And I see management as the maintenance and optimization of existing systems. There's a time for both. And there's actually an overlap between the two. Um, Managers tend, though, towards the maintenance of the status quo. They manage things to continue. And the leader, as we've just discussed, changes the world. Yeah. And you can be both. And in fact, I think most of us are called to be both. And when you were talking about, like, I see leaders falling into this, there's this part of my mind that was like, because they're not actually embracing the leadership side of those two elements of their role. Yeah. They're focused in on management. And I'll give an example that we experienced in Valarin in the last two weeks of conversation or a couple weeks, I guess, three weeks, maybe um, we'd set up a system. I'd set up a system and you, we'd like, yes, let's go do this. Let's make sure we produce content. And I was like, okay, I want to put out two videos a week with Valarin on our YouTube and all this stuff. And what actually happened is over time, I was spending all of my time managing that. I was managing shipping two videos out. At first that was fine because that was the goal. Let's see what happens. Let's learn from that. But I became very like, it's like my, you know, you, I don't know if you ever described it like this, but I got the feeling you were like, Ben, your vision is narrowing. You know, you're like focusing in on the management of putting out two videos a week. And I'm, I'm going in and I'm micro optimizing what a video looks like. And I'm making slight tweaks here and there and I'm fixing the front and the back. And it's like, oh man, this is good learning. What I was doing though, was I was executing and, and managing. I was maintaining and optimizing a system that said we produce two videos every week. And what you started doing was tapping at that system and me within it. And you were like, hey, Ben, you're managing, you didn't say it like this. You're managing too much right now. Put on your leader hat. Where's Valarin going? What's important about those videos going out? Why does it matter? How are we relating to each other? What's the product and the point of the product and the audience? And what was fascinating looking back for me is I was almost stuck in that rut for a moment. And some of it we've talked about is the balance between like, let's fully try an idea before we learn from it and pivot. But there was this thing where like, I was like, well, I'm like, but I'm doing the thing. I don't have time to almost, I don't have time to listen to you tapping on the outside of the system and being like, Hey, Hey Ben, I need you to come out of the, out of the system here inside of, and talk to me about like, what is the social media strategy? What is the vision for Valar? And how do these things relate? I, I got stuck managing. Yeah. And we see this all the time. And so, you know, we have this, like, what does it mean for us as leaders to be able to solve problems upstream and have the awareness that we have that we can move upstream and downstream as we need to. We can flexibly move up and downstream depending on where it makes the most sense to apply pressure to problems that we want to solve, right? 
Um, so that's one major theme and, and a big issue we see in, in our industry. The second one is this idea of building an immune system for companies. One of the things that Ben and I have seen repeatedly is that when you solve a problem appropriately upstream, not every problem is a culture problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like not every process problem that pops up is like, oh, there's something wrong with our culture. Right. But a lot of endemic process problems that keep coming up are actually cultural issues. So if we make our leaders capable of setting up structure to solve culture problems or solve product problems in a lasting and meaningful way, you have now built a system that is more resilient to future problems. There is nothing less resilient to than band-aiding mm -hmm. a problem with a process solution. And, and if you've worked in this industry, I probably don't even have to give examples. You know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times have you seen fires just popping up left and right and everyone knows that there's a root cause, but we don't have time to address it. We just keep band-aiding the problem and how we are just, we live in a world where we're utterly convinced we know in our bones that there's just going to be more fires. Right. That's the only reality is that there's going to ever be ever more fires. And so what does it look like again to solve, to not just attack symptoms, but attack root causes and, and really effectively be able to diagnose upstream problems with product and, and, and with culture and, and put in scalable and lasting solutions that create an immune system. And again, I, and I think interestingly enough, creating holistic leaders also builds an immune system. Yes. Because for every holistic leader that you build, like if you have leaders walking around your company, walking around the pit, as we used to call it at Riot every day, and they get the culture, like they have awareness of the culture, they feel accountable for the culture. Like it's, it's everyone's responsibility. Like kind of, if you see something, say something kind of deal like Alex did, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden when a toxin gets into the bloodstream, when a bad thing starts to spread a virus, it can only get so far before the quote unquote white blood cells of those leaders who are holding themselves responsible for attacking that stuff and correcting it get on it and stop it in its tracks. Right. Whereas if you have a whole fleet of managers and none of them feel like they care about product or process stuff, or, or pardon me, product and cultural stuff, then they're just gonna like let it go by or try to apply a very tactical solution to it. So, so again, there's building an immune system and uh, solving problems upstream and having the ability to solve problems upstream. That's really what we're talking about and why this matters. And, and this is, I, I would go as far as to say this is probably the singular gap, the singular missing link that we consistently see in organizations that lead to just an untold amount of problems. So, so let's go into the next section here because Ben, you already kind of like warmed us up with some, with some like really good examples. There are many like, but I want to ask you like, wh what are you seeing right now? So like I, we just kind of set the stage. Yeah. What do you, we, we've worked with a lot of companies now and we've worked at several companies. What, what do you see when it comes to this dynamic? For you to be a holistic leader and to be able to operate across that spectrum from culture as culture blends into product and product and product blends into process and process, like all this whole line, 
and everything else that might be part of the company, right? Um, you have to know what those layers are. Mm -hmm. And I think first thing that I think happens is we don't tell people, like our organizations don't inform people what those layers are, sometimes because they don't know. Um, and the people are not held accountable by the organization for those other, for the, for the upstream layers. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, if I'm a leader, right, I've been put in a leadership role and I show up to a company, I, and I've been told set up a process, set up a, a particular methodology framework, scrum, Kanban, whatever. That's what we like to use. So go ahead and set that up. Um, and I start seeing behaviors and no one's told me anything else um, that seem aberrant, right? Like I, I, my team doesn't seem to get along with each other. Um, maybe they don't, I hate to, we always come back to feedback, but maybe they just, maybe they're just arguing constantly and it never gets resolved. And I don't know how this organization resolves conflicts, what seem like intractable conflicts. Um, I might just go like, well, they told me my job is to set up Kanban on the team. And I can do that even if the team's all arguing with each other unproductively all the time. So I guess I'm going to be held accountable for having Kanban set up. I'm going to go set up Kanban. And I start making my board and setting my whip limits and measuring my cycle time or my th whatever it is, right? I do Kanban things. Um, and in the same way, we would say that's totally missing the point of Kanban. Um, and any Kanban expert would tell you that, like that's missing the point. It's far more important. Uh, Kanban might help illuminate some of those conflicts, but the real issues you're trying to resolve are, there, are those cultural ones or the arguments about the product that don't get resolved. We don't know as leaders and we don't prioritize knowing and companies often don't prioritize telling us. Or if they do, it's some boilerplate thing like we value trust and humility and people and, and it's like, okay, like, yep, you and everybody else in the world. Yeah, but that, it's like we very often see that that's not institutionalized. Right. You know what I mean? There's, there's no actual system for propagating that. It's written on a wall somewhere, which, which all it does is to serve to frustrate people even more. Yes. You know, like one of the things that popped up for me that you and I have seen several times with working with companies is the project that every leader knows is going to fail Yes. And yet when confronted, not with our opinion, but the fact that we've surfaced their opinions, like they believe that it's going to fail and they, they have several reasons culturally and product wise that they believe it's going to fail, like flaws in the product strategy or flaws in the organization's culture that inevitably will create a project failure outcome. And the leaders are unanimous in feeling that way. Yet at the same time, when we ask, well, why don't we dig into those things and solve them? The response is we don't have the time mm -hmm. because we're too busy working on the project that we know is going to fail. Like I, I, I it sounds so freaking cheesy and, and goofy and ridiculous, but I, I wish I was kidding right now. Yeah. Like I, I have seen that dozens of times yep. in my career. Well, you, then you look over at the wall and it says, speak the hard truth or transparency is timeless or so, like some, some little pithy thing pointing you towards, 
And I mean, yeah, you and I have both sat in that. And Ben, that's, that's, you know, that's the cynicism that we immediately start are at risk of feeling when we're like, wait, you said you wanted me to speak the hard truth. You said you wanted transparency. I'm trying to do that. Maybe I'm not doing it the best. It doesn't seem like anybody is actually taking it seriously. And I mean, you're, you described a situation where they actually are like, yeah, but we're too busy. Sometimes it's just like, no, right. It, the, yeah. It's it's almost yeah. in, in some sense change it. We don't like the, with the confrontation of like, oh, wow. What this implies is that we actually have to change our behavior. Whoa. Like that, that, that there's a, um, you know, I have never been in a situation where I've seen an executive or seen a senior leader say, well, no, we're not interested in changing behavior. Um, in fact, more often than not, they tend to nod at what they feel is their own willingness to change behavior. But the reality is, is that's, you can feel the fear and the, the dread coming into the conversation when the realization becomes that we need to change behavior and that we need to change the way we look at the problem that because there's an immediate, I, and, and I, I really would love to dig into that because that to me is the the inverse of the holistic leadership yeah. where it's like, I start to see that the problem is outside my wheelhouse or outside what I perceive like I have control over. Mm-hmm. And, and there's certainly two things happen. There's like the individual leader feeling like they have the competency to actually address that. I think is a big problem. Like the reality is, is like all the data we have shows that most leaders not only don't have competency to solve those upstream problems, but they actually don't they, they're, they're aware that they don't actually, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, like I, I have some stats here. 58% of managers have never been trained mm-hmm. and 87% wish that they had been. Mm. And there's actually one study they did where they listed, where the managers themselves listed out five skills that they wish that they had been taught. And they, if you look at those five skills, I can't remember what five they were specifically. It's, it's like, okay, well, those five skills are absolutely core skills to being a manager. So there's this self-recognition even like, I don't know how to do this. And I think that there is also a often an organizational aspect of it, the other side of it, where it's like, well, we don't care about that. That's um, – it's not – again, through our actions, we don't care about well, that. There, there's um, – you said that like we're talking about holistic leadership. Holistic leadership is, if applied across an organization, an immune system that keeps non-aligned cultural or non-aligned behaviors outside. Like it pushes, it 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 it, it encounters them, it confronts them, it discourages them, it disincentivizes yeah. those things. And so you, there's this immune system component when you've actually got yeah leaders operating in a holistic way. They're thinking about culture. They're thinking about product. They're thinking about process. All of those layers matter and some are more upstream. I think the thing you're describing to me sounded like an inversion actually of the immune system. Yeah. The immune system is now orienting people and encouraging and pushing people when that, when somebody pipes up and says like, Hey, something's wrong. The immune system in that company says, you're not allowed to say that. You don't point out the things that are wrong. And I don't want to rag yeah, on there, the military. There is sort of a line there, isn't there? Within yeah. the like hyper-management world where you're supposed to be a manager, you're supposed to make a spreadsheet, you're supposed to set up a process, you're supposed to you know, uh, you know, 
have a better meeting or get everyone together or whatever thing it is, tactical thing it is that you need to manage, you're expected to offer a solution in that vein. That's your area yes. where you play in, right? Manage so, better. So, so if you come in and you're like, hey, there's a problem and it's upstream and that's what the issue is, you're, you, it's very likely you're going to be labeled as a malcontent. Um, and also it could, because the assumption, because the existing frame is like, well, you're a manager, right? Don't you have all the tools to manage stuff? If you're sitting there saying, well, there's a problem and I don't know how to solve it. I'm not thinking as your leader, oh, well, maybe this person hasn't been trained to address cultural issues, or maybe we haven't incentivized them to address cultural issues. I'm thinking, well, clearly you're a poor manager. Clearly, you can't find a process solution right. to this problem that you're dealing with, which is the exact wrong frame of mind that yes. we're talking you're about. You're going right downstream. We're, Correct. we're pushing people we, yeah, towards we're, firefighting. We're actually actively shoving people downstream. Yes. Like, go fight fires. Don't worry about the fact that there's somebody, like, lighting matches and throwing them out of a car while he drives yeah. through a forest. Yeah. Again, um, we, that, we had our product interview, again, with Darko, and he was talking that, – that's part of that dynamic again of, like, well, no, no, no. You're asking for a roadmap, person that I'm accountable to. I'm trying to tell you the vision, and you're saying, but well, we need to have a vision. And I'm like, well, the vision is not – the blocks on a spreadsheet. Those are two different things. Right. It's like even, even then, that's a scenario where the senior leader doesn't actually understand the difference between what's upstream and downstream. And I, I was about to go into like, and I don't want to rag on the military. The military operates in a very complicated space. I will say it was a frustration to me in my time in the military that they did exactly what you just said. The immune system of the military points all the leaders to solve things via process. Just go execute, go brute force, do it. And man, if you're going to bias in a direction, it's better to have people bias towards brute force solving problems than it is to have them all like, well, let's go up into our ivory tower and think for seven years. Like if you're going to, if you have to be at an extreme beyond the extreme of acting for sure, it discourages. It was so discouraging at times, though, because a request might come through for like, hey, we need a report. And I was sort of like, OK, what do you need the report for? And the fact that I even asked the question was sometimes offensive to people. And, and I'm trying to ask the question, because if I know what you need this for, you may not actually want this report. And sometimes I knew that and I knew that that report wasn't going to provide you the answer you needed. And so I'm trying to like, hey, what is it you're going for? I think it's this. And they're like, shut up and fill out the report. That's your job. And I think that limitation that they just set upon me inside of their expectation, just do your job, mm -hmm. fill out the report, get us the report. It incentivized me to not care about the big picture Yeah, and to go do my job and that desire for everybody just to do their job to me relates to that same thing that makes us all want to put out a faux roadmap. Mm -hmm. If we all just go do our job, we'll all get paid. Everything will kind of plunk along. And you know what? Yeah, maybe that project's doomed to failure or there's a way better way to do this. But you know what? I'm getting paid and people who stick their neck out by trying to like point out things that could be better or problems, they just offend people and get on the nerves of others. And 
it's not worth it. It's way better just to go along peaceably in my work. Yeah. And so that's yeah. that's something else that I think there there was one other thing that was coming to mind earlier when you were sort of introducing the topic. And man, this is it's something ever if you've done any like listening to thought leaders about leadership, um, it comes up all the time. Do you have space? Do you give yourself space as a leader to think about the vision, to think about the culture? I said earlier, a lot of times we don't know what it is, so we can't be holistic leaders because we're not sure what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. What is it that you want to have happen? What is the way that you want people to interact? What is the product and the purpose and the audience? We don't know those things. You could just say, well, whatever. And again, I think this is what most people do. And this is why we have this problem. I'll just manage my team and I'll run the process and everything will be fine and I'll get paid. Because um, I don't know what those things are. Yeah. And I, mean, and it, I think it's, there are not many tools no. for those things either. There are many more tools. There's a, there's a hundred different tools to solve every possible process problem you could have. And there are maybe a handful of methods or philosophies for solving product or culture problems. And most of those are not accompanied with practical frameworks or tools you can actually use. So right. actually that's one thing too, the, 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 the methods become more and more obtuse the farther upstream yes. you go. And, and the most important tool, tool resource, let's say, for solving the product and the culture stuff is time. Yeah. Do you have the time to sit down during your day and go like, what's working well on my team or this org or this company? What's not working well? Where are we trying to go? If you are back to back and so many leaders, junior, middle, senior, are so swamped with meetings. They're in like, you and I have both been there, just the back, back to back, eight hours every day, you know, sometimes longer, right? Well, sorry, I couldn't find any time on your calendar, so I booked you at 8 p.m. because that was the only time I had available. And I'm a senior leader, a more senior leader than you, so you've got to show up anyway. And um, and by the way, you don't, but anyway, <laughs> that's a different story. Uh, no time in that calendar to go, okay, wait a minute. Who are we and where are we trying to go? As a leader and as somebody who leads leaders or manages leaders or however you want to say it, that time should be given to yourself or to those, those leaders you're leading. Mm -hmm. You have to provide that. Um, so much of the best work I saw come out of leaders was not them getting their report done on time or facilitating the meeting better or whatever. It was when they were able to like take a step back, look at the situation and go, wait a minute, something's wrong somewhere here. And I need, I need to spend time figuring out what. Yeah. And I remember you actually did this very well. As a senior leader, you were constantly sort of, you were like sniffing out organizational problems. And then you would put someone on the problem. And you just sort of be like, look, I don't know exactly what's going on. I just know this is a thing. Uh, that we need to solve. And I feel like there's something that doesn't smell right about it. Can you go look into that? 
because I, I, I'm worried this is going to blow up. Um, and sometimes that was me. Sometimes that was other people. But you're just like, can you help me do this? Um, that's such a crucial role. And that came from you doing something that you took so much flack for often by those people that just wanted you busy doing process stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. By sitting back and going like, wait, how are we relating? How is our organization of hundreds of people relating to their organizations of hundreds of people? Yeah. What's you know, going on? There's something that comes up for me, which is a, a couple of things. The farther upstream you go, I think a couple things become true. One, the more personal the problems feel. Um, so like if, you, if you're dealing with what you believe is fundamentally a cultural or behavioral problem, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can't really avoid talking about what people are doing every day in the, in the midst of trying to solve that. Um, and so people are implicated in that, which is really interesting. Whereas like, no matter what you're dealing with in the process layer, people are loosely implicated at best. So there, there's, there's something there about the fear of going too far upstream. Like an example, a story that comes to mind for me is, I was working with a group of senior leaders and actually, interestingly enough, um, at the time it was my boss and their peers who were like, I guess at the time you could call them like director or VP level or somewhere, somewhere in that range. And there was a massive amount of cultural and behavioral friction between them. Like their issues with each other ran very deep. There was a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration, a lot of pain and a lot of anger and they were like issues of principle in certain ways yeah. like the or the the people involved would have argued that they were issues of principle and i remember number 1 back to upstream problems causing cascading impacts mm-hmm. how how the rest of the organization started to reflect the rifts between the mm-hmm. that in the relationships between those people like yeah. the disciplines <clears throat> that reported into each of these individuals started to generate animosity for each other purely because for several reasons but one of the main ones was because they knew that the people at the top didn't like each other yeah and we're actively talking about that yeah now this is all behavioral right and we've this is not an uncommon problem so I remember what I did was I got one of my favorite people in the entire universe, a guy named Michael Robillard, who is one of the most absolutely unbelievable magicians and facilitators in the world who, who employed a technique he calls advanced facilitation, where he basically we got into a room and more or less worked through that from a cultural perspective. It was a it was a facilitated meeting that that's intention was to surface those issues and get people back into alignment and get people and like and a lot of it again was very personal and very emotional. And I remember that watching these senior leaders essentially dumping their guts and like thinking that we were going to get to a good place. And that realization as it set in that once everything was exposed and the only logical thing to do at that point was to actually start working towards repairing and to work towards changing behaviors and compromising and all these things, yeah. the walls that people had up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and interestingly, the reaction was far more frustration that they had been pulled into that medium where they were forced to confront what they already knew was there 
but had no intention of solving. Right. And and again, not because they're bad people, not because they're bad leaders, but because they I don't know if it was that they didn't feel equipped or if they felt like they that they they didn't want to compromise because their heels were dug in and they were afraid about losing the power of their position if they did. But I, I remember that confrontation with we need to change our behavior. Like we're responsible as leaders to not be arguing and bickering with each other and, and spreading this toxicity throughout the organization. And we need to be better. Mm-hmm. And 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 how that just sort of evaporated mm-hmm. after that meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and how difficult it was for everyone to be confronted with that. It was sobering, it was sad. And it was frustrating um, for a lot of reasons. And and again, I I saw that and I remember just being so confused by that. Like, how could these Mm. people be confronted with that and then not want to not feel responsible or not want to change their behavior? And and, and I now as as a more experienced leader, I, I know all the reasons why now it's hard. It's scary. I don't have the tools. Um, I, I feel like this person's going to try to hurt me if I, you know, cede any of my position, like whatever it is. And again, these are the kinds of things that stop us, I think, from being more holistic is, is it, I think we are often terrified when you start to get more up into that abstract or that human layer or that product layer. Product is, I think, scary for a lot of people. Culture is double scary. Yeah. So. What? There's the word that coming up to mind for me was vulnerability. Mm. To be vulnerable is to be vulnerable. You can be hurt and we don't like being vulnerable. And we especially don't like being vulnerable around people we don't trust. And if you've come into a place where, and these are cultural issues where you are in conflict with other leaders around you and you're not trusting each other, the idea of vulnerability is emotionally terrifying. Yeah. And I actually also want to include in the idea of holistic leadership, that's something holistic leaders are able to do. And that's because they can navigate up to that cultural layer. Yeah. Um, and if you can't, if you're not going to be vulnerable and then, then you're not going to get where you're, where you want to go in those relationships. And that's not going to create the right incentives that drive the behaviors that create your culture, that enable the products that will in more ways than you realize, drive the process you have and allow you to succeed or fail as an organization. And Brene Brown says something, speaks a lot about vulnerability. She's uh, quite an expert on it. There's an idea that we have that to be vulnerable is to be perceived as weak. And the irony, no, I, the it's, it's paradoxical because that feels true. Oh, if someone is vulnerable, that means they are weak and again, they're, they're the hippie or whatever. They're, you know, spouting their emotional crap. We don't need that at work. Um, but when we actually see people being vulnerable, we tend to respect them more rather than less. And there is like, we've, we've tricked ourselves into believing we should never be vulnerable because that'll get us hurt and everybody will think we're stupid or weak or bad or whatever. But when we actually see someone stand up in front of a large group of people and be vulnerable, we're often like, oh, wow, it, it sometimes I think it makes us uncomfortable because we're like, that's a lot of vulnerability you're expressing. And obviously there's inappropriate ways to do that. But generally we look at someone who's doing that. And we're like, wow, I have a lot of respect for that person. 
because there's bravery in the vulnerability. Yeah. And that speaks to the, the idea. And there, I think there is a core idea around holistic leadership, which is uh, courage. Yeah. Courage is required. Yeah. And it's, we, t- we took a crack at talking about <clears throat> what are practical things that lead us away from this idea of holistic leadership. And, and there are some that I think are worth talking about directly because I think most people that work in corporate America will hear them and be like, that's true. Um, without going into too much detail. One of them is, um, I think teaching and guiding leaders, holistic leaders is a lot more complicated and less understood than teaching and guiding managers, like people who do process stuff. Mm. So I think that's a relevant thing. There are many reasons why that's true, but I think it is true. There are more good managers than there are good leaders. Like I think honestly, like effective process stewards or people who can manage processes are a dime a dozen in corporate America. Um, I don't think that there are that really good leaders are a dime a dozen. Um, Leadership often deals in things that are not immediately measurable, whereas management deals in many measurable things. So like that, that I think it makes it easy for us to lean into downstream stuff. Like the more downstream things are, the more easily measurable they are. It's not to say that upstream things are not measurable. Like, you know, I, I I wanted to throw some more of these statistics out because they're pretty mind blowing. You know, 44, I I talked about managers um, and their training. 44% of managers feel overwhelmed at work. They don't do anything upstream and they feel overwhelmed at work. That sucks to to me to, to recognize that it's like, they can't solve the, for whatever reason, they they don't feel like they can solve the right problems. And they also feel overwhelmed. Almost half of them feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at everybody, all workers, 79% of the people who quit in the last couple of years said they felt underappreciated. 53% are not happy at work in general. And 70% of people are not engaged at work. Mm-hmm. Like if that's not indicative of upstream problems, I don't right. know what is. Like there's no process problem you can put in place or there's no process solution you can put in place to make people feel more engaged at work. So it's but, like we need yeah. our we need our leaders to know this stuff. Like this is not trivial stuff. This is really important. Well, there's a blind spot there too because someone might say like, "Well, I don't know about that. Like I was at a company and we went in and we put scrum in place and everything got better." And there's a lot that's wrapped into something like that. But one is if you had somebody capable come in and put Scrum in place. If you think that Scrum and the way that they applied it, especially if it really worked and you got high performing, was all just about a series of meetings and artifacts that were created that the teams started adhering to, you missed the point. Most likely if you brought in somebody and they applied Scrum, they spent as much time working with other leaders, explaining what good looked like, talking about how we want to relate to problems, a bug popped up. What do we do? Well, in the old world, we did this. In the new world, we should do this. There's so much. And, and we we tend to, because it's measurable and so much more observable, we tend to sort of box out that the application of the process framework. And then we think, yeah, that's what solved it. 
And by the way, <clears throat> another pattern we've seen is people who have seen that, observed that, then they go and they're like, oh, well, if I ever run into teams not working well, I'll just take this boxed product I learned and shove it in yeah. and it doesn't work. And then they get like, wait, why didn't it work? It's supposed to work. And they have to figure that out. And, and there's all this, and some of them don't. And, and they're like, well, it's because the process is bad. It only worked then. And it's like, well, no, it may, maybe actually, but the point is there was more going on. There is more going on in an effective transformation of any kind than new meetings. And can you recognize that? Or when you walk away from that, do you just go, yeah, really what they did was set up a backlog and some meetings around it, and that made everything better. Great job. It must have been the backlog that was the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, it, these the ideally your process is derived from and enabling your culture and your product vision and, and the goals and how you think about where you're trying to go and your strategy. Like it, it needs to be drawn from them. And if it does that well, if it reflects that well, it's going to work better um, than something that didn't. So I think we've done a, a reasonable foray into like kind of the current landscape. Let's move into our final section here and talk about the antidote, as I called it earlier. So what does that, what does this transformation actually look like? And there are, you know, there's a lot there that comes to mind when it comes to like teaching leaders the specific things they know to be able to be holistic like what are all the product things you need to know what are all the culture things you need to know what are all the process things you need to know without yeah there's but as i think about it i'm like i don't want to go into that much detail um right off the bat the there's a couple big things that come to mind for me one of them is make it matter Mm like senior leaders, executives, like make it matter. When you hire a leader or a person that's going to be in an authority position into your company, one of the first things you should tell them and one of the first things that should be part of the responsibility set of any authority figure in your organization, any leader, manager, whatever you want to call them, should be holistic leadership, Mm -hmm. like should be the culture and product component. Like one of the things I loved about Riot was if anyone asked you about the product goals or about what it meant to be player focused, it was seen as unacceptable for you to not think about that. Mm -hmm. And Riot is known as an organization for this. Like, so there's That tells me that within the leadership infrastructure of Riot Games, the expectation was set that you needed to care about the product. And that wasn't even just a leadership thing. That was an everybody thing. Everybody. But like it went double for leaders because for leaders it was, hey, you need to care about this. You need to understand our product and understand our players and our customers. But you also need to make sure that everyone on your team does too. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to be somewhat the arbiter of that cultural element, uh, which is kind of a confluence of culture and product. And so set that expectation. Like if you're just hiring somebody who you know managed a bunch of projects really well and shipped a thing or two in their career, and they're really good at that stuff, and you bring them in, 
and you don't talk to them about culture or you don't talk to them about product and you never have a conversation with them that that's an expectation that you have of them is to make sure that the behaviors in their org are correct. Like that's one simple thing, I think, that you don't even have to know what that framework is. Just make it matter. If all you did was at the, and during that person's review every quarter or during every one-on-one you asked them, how are people behaving in your organization? And is it what we want? Well, Jim, I don't know what you want because we never talked about it. Cool, great, let's have that conversation. Like that is such a positive, virtuous loop. Just make it matter. Set the incentive. Set the expectation. Culture matters. Product matters. It's not just about operations. Yeah. And it's when I think about what are the things we do, like the antidote, like you said, I think about it like the one you just went into is one one aspect of if you're an org or a senior leader, like you're leading others, you're leading other leaders, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a set of things I would tell you, and that's one of them. Make it matter. I love that. Make it matter. Culture matters. Product matters. These things are important. If I walk into your organization and you and I and I'm walking around and it seems like there's no orientation towards the company's goals or there's I, I observe misalignment to the culture that I'm trying to create. It shouldn't matter to me that you've got the process locked down. I should be confronting you. Man, that was something that some leaders, um, Mark Merrill, I think, is a great example of, of somebody like he would skip right past sort of the BS surface layer process stuff when he saw something. I, I can't think of an example right now, but there, he would just like jump to the culture of the product. It was just like, no, no, we don't sit at this layer. This is what I'm holding you accountable for. You are a leader in my organization. And then there's another part, and, and maybe we can get, maybe we can actually separate them. It's like, what is the antidote for the cult, for the organization or the senior leader leading other leaders? And then what's what's the antidote for this for the individual, the junior leader, the the middle manager, um, who's stuck in stuck managing rather than leading, mm-hmm. um, and and unable to sort of or hasn't to this point engaged with holistic leadership. So yeah, so like. What else, what else for you comes up on the organizational side, the senior leader side, you know, I'm, I, I want, I want holistic leadership. What do I do? I make it matter. And yeah, I, it has to matter. And I think that there needs to be, um, skills and methods for understanding how that works. And this one's really tough. Uh, again, I, I use the term frameworks. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So what is culture? You and I have often discussed culture as behaviors and incentives. Like culture is the combination of all the behaviors and incentives in your organization. So that's a frame. It's like fixed or growth mindset. What's the best way to help people move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? Well, let them know, teach them, help them be aware that there are actually two mindsets. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my framework for culture may not be the right one. You may have a better one, but take that framework and sit down and talk about it with your leaders right. and say, these are the things that matter to us. These are the buckets. 
and, and talk about that, have that conversation. Because as that stuff comes more into view, people are going to realize what they should be focusing on. So it's like your be your be for me behaviors is is one of them. Like which be how like there are a certain bucket of behaviors where I'm like that's us, and there are certain behavior buckets of behaviors where I'm like that's not us, and that's going to be based on our principles and our values as an organization. Mm-hmm. It's like you know an example, a micro example of this is you know uh, somebody coming up. And asking a leader on a team about a problem that they saw and that leader being like, well, that's not my job. That's Jim's job. And he'll, Mm -hmm. and he'll be back in two weeks. He's on vacation. That's not, that's outside of my domain. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That was seen as unacceptable Mm -hmm. because that was, that was, that was the culture that had been set was that you are a representative of the player and you may not be the right person to handle something, but for you to just instantly dismiss something be, and, and, and throw it off your plate because that's not in my job description was, was anathema. And so that was an unacceptable behavior, right? So what are those acceptable and unacceptable behaviors at your organization? Right. And how are your leaders, again, operating as white blood cells every day to protect the organization against those anti-pattern behaviors and spread around the positive ones. So again, it's, that's a framework, right? Whatever that is for you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that I, I've seen very few organizations really spend time and energy on that. That for me, there's the, I love that. It's like make explicit the culture, the behaviors, the incentives that you're trying to create, and then actually observe what's happening. And to me, there's also this sense of, um, what should be part of our culture and recognizing that that's not as static as it may seem. And it's not because it's like that your culture is going to evolve over time because if you're a 10 person team, there's going to be like a 10 person company. There's going to be certain things that are part of how you want people to behave that may be different if it's a 3000 person company. And it may be that most of those behaviors are still true. Some may have shifted and you may have a bunch of new ones. And some of the new ones could relate to the fact that when you were only 10 people, it was trivial for people to talk to each other and know who everybody else was. Know everybody else that they needed to know to who they were going to work with. When you're 3,000 people, it might be much more difficult. And so you may have not needed a cultural tenant when you were 10 people that said, hey, if there's somebody that you're going to be, whose who's work is impacting your work a lot and who your work is impacting them a lot, you should go and interact with them to some extent and get a sense of who they are and how they're working and if they're overwhelmed and these things. Maybe you want that as a cultural tenant when you're a 3,000 person organization. And maybe you don't need it when you're 10. And that speaks to this idea too. It's not just making the culture explicit, it's staying up to date on it. It's regularly investing time as leaders of an organization or senior leaders of a subsection of an organization to go like, who is it? Who are we trying to be? Why does that matter? Great. And this is, this is going to apply. And I, I, I'm, well, reiterate what I said earlier. You need to create time to do that as executives of organizations and as senior leaders of organizations. Do you have time to think about the culture, how it's evolving, what behaviors you want to see, 
um, and don't want to see what you do actually see and and uh, don't see and the incentives that you're putting in place to create more of what you want to see and updating that constantly. It's not a, when we started the company, we came up with these three cultural pillars and we never have to look at that again. Yeah. There's back to your question about like the senior leadership side of things. Um, there's one more thing there, which is the incentive for the people that are accountable to you to be strategic in that way, mm-hmm. to be strategic in the sense that they think about process, product, culture, holistically. Mm-hmm. If you are actively incentivizing them to just go get work done, or you measure them all purely based on how much stuff they get done and how many spreadsheets they make and how many processes they create, and that's what you derive satisfaction and a perception of their performance from, that's all they're going to do. Another approach would be if you see somebody managing the heck out of a bunch of details and doing a great job doing it, but missing the point when it comes to the product and culture, to trigger an accountability function there, yes. to set the expectation that that's not good enough. Right. That I want, I want you, it's not enough that you're doing a bunch of stuff. No, I get that your team shipped a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't the right stuff. Did it have the customer impact that we wanted? Mm-hmm. Like open that space up for them and give them, give them the space and set the expectation with them and make sure your behavior is incentivizing them to go full stack. Mm-hmm. because that's going to be a huge factor as well. Like I think there are so many reasons, it's not even worth getting into them all, that managers or senior leaders, I think, and I think oftentimes, unfortunately, the more senior a leader is, the more true this can be in certain organizations are incentivizing <clears throat> the leaders uh, underneath them to go downstream. Mm-hmm. Because like, well, that the culture stuff, that's you don't need to be thinking about that. That's my stuff. You know, like I'm the big picture person, like everyone else should just be executing. And it's like, no, it should be nested levels of strategy in an autonomous organization. There shouldn't be a single leader on the totem pole who isn't having at some level thinking strategically. I want to give a little bit more detail because I'm thinking about this. I'm like, oh man, you know, what is it that Nor can do? Well, you got to spend time and you got to think about what the culture is and be explicit about it. And I want to actually be just a little bit more detailed uh, than that. For an organization and a senior leader, some places to look. How does feedback work in your organization? Do you know? How do you want it to look? Are you modeling that? How does conflict and conflict resolution work in your organization? Do you know? How do you want it to look? How are you going to incentivize it? What Um, are people accountable for? What are people, yes. What, what are, are pe- leaders? What are people accountable for and how are they held to account are two things I think that is, are go great on your list there. Yep. Um, wh- like that, that one I think ties into like, yeah, the idea of roles, right? Mm-hmm. Like what are the roles that we want people to have? Um, how do we want people in our organization to relate to the products we're creating? How does that work right now? What do we want it to be? How do I incentivize it moving more towards that? There's... A million answers to some of those questions, right? Like we said, uh, feedback, conflict, accountability and roles, relationship to product. Um, I feel like I'm missing some. There's more you could go into. There will always be more. Um, but if you're, if you're thinking about what does it mean to make a culture explicit, think about those things and the behaviors you want to see. Yeah. Um, because I can tell you my opinions about those things. 
they don't matter, right? That's me taking my frame and my values and my principles. Your company already has that implicitly if you haven't made it explicit. So go make it explicit and be clear. This is how we want feedback to work. Maybe your company was like, we don't do feedback. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you chose to go that path, then great, go disincentivize all the feedback. That'll have some consequences and hopefully you'll figure it out over time. But, but like, I'm not telling you what you should pick. I'm just telling you, you have to pick something in these areas because if you don't, something that you and I have said many times, if you don't pick it, it emerges organically and it's unlikely to be what you wanted. It'll be not deliberate. So that, that, yeah, that, that I think is, is the big one uh, or some, some areas, some big areas you can focus on when you're thinking about making your culture explicit. You were going to talk about the junior side of things? Yeah. So the junior side of things, um, when I am, if I'm talking to a junior leader or a, a, like a middle layer leader and they're really locked into process, um, what are things that I encourage them to do? Uh, to become more of a holistic leader. And it's funny, I almost like work up the, the layers, right? They're, okay, you're stuck in process. Um, one of the first things I'm going to encourage you to start doing is looking outside of your area of responsibility. One of the temptations of the process layer is that it gives you a, there's always more work to do and all that work is it directly in your area of responsibility and you fill your time with it and actually so many organizations reward that. And so one of the first things you need to do is break that your job is just the process in your space. And so I'll encourage them, hey, how are your products landing? How are your products and your teams relating to other teams that they may work with or be dependent upon or have dependency on you? What are problems that are in your broader space and outside of your immediate area of responsibility, right? If you're a team in a group of teams, what are the problems that are facing the group of teams? And just in, in some sense, it's trying to like expand awareness and, and move towards the product side. Um, another one, I think, as that, as you get the sort of mid or junior person moving towards mid-level or mid-level person who's just stuck in process, often those people are incredibly busy because they're constantly trying to process out everything. Yeah. And it's, it's like forcing them and almost confronting them with like, what if you couldn't do enough to solve all the problems via band-aided process solutions? What would you do? And what are the actual root causes behind? You know, you could, I'm, one thing I've done is like, what's the why? What's the five whys type thing? Well, I would say a practical thing there is never let yourself get that loaded up. Like if, yeah. if you have any control over how much you commit to, take whatever you think your commitment is and like cut it in half or cut it into two thirds to specifically leave yourself the bandwidth, the room to take on a couple problems that are more upstream. Exactly. And then what's likely to happen is the more of those upstream problems, even if in the beginning, the only way you can couch those is as extra credit. If you start solving upstream problems, you're likely to have an outsized positive impact in your space mm -hmm. because of the way that upstream problems work when they get solved, mm -hmm. which is that they have Everything downstream benefits from an upstream solution, right? So you solve a couple, quote unquote, real problems. They have an outsized positive impact. You get credit for that. It doesn't matter if it was the original thing that your boss thought you should be focused on. Eventually, right. you're going to get seen, even if they just see you as a magician, because they don't understand why you're 
outperforming the other folks in your space, eventually that will build your influence and your credibility to where you can do more and more things, quote unquote, your way. And then the thing you can do is start explaining to people what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And then your influence is now not just helping increase your credibility. It's also helping people understand that you're thinking about frameworks and you're thinking about holistic leadership. Right. And they can do the same and probably also have an outsized impact. Right. Yeah. There, there's a question that we ask all the time. What's the value? Ask that as a junior leader. Ask that as you go about doing all those different things. And that, I think, to the point you just made, will, will drive you up up to upstream problems um, and, and away from iterating on something that doesn't matter anyway. How many times has that happened where you're just iterating and iterating away on a particular process or a meeting or whatever when like it's actually not useful and but you can invest so much time trying to make it better, um, you, you don't want to get caught there. And so you need time to go do that. Um, and ideally like hopefully your leaders support you in that, but even if they don't start thinking about what you want, the culture, if, if the organization's not telling you start thinking about what you want, the culture and the product to look like and how you want your team to relate to those things. Um, another thing I want to hit on, and I know we're, we're running long here, um, holistic leadership we're addressing it from the perspective of process is not all there is. And that's because one of the most common problems we see is sort of the belief or the, the activity is all around the process. The, the things that people choose to do relate so much to the process layer of an organization and not enough to the product and the cultural layer. I have actually observed scenarios where the opposite is true, where I've seen someone that was so culturally focused um, that they effectively ignored the process and product layers. And um, holistic means you're thinking about all three. And, you know, just like in the Agile Manifesto, it's um, individual interactions over processes and tools. That is, while there is value in the things on the right, we put more value in the things on the left. Aaron and I put more value on the cultural and product layers. And no way are we saying you can completely ignore the process layer. And, and I, want, I want people to understand that. It's not like we're saying that all those things, the frameworks, the meetings, the artifacts, the, it's not that that's irrelevant. It's that it is derivative. If you completely ignore it, there will be anti-patterns that will emerge inside of your space. So be aware of it. Just recognize it shouldn't be 100% of your time and effort. Yeah. In fact, it should be a lot less and a lot more of your time should be going towards yeah. product and cultural layers. You know, I don't know if this is a bad analogy, but you cannot make a pyramid without having the base, the middle and the top. It's not a pyramid yes. without all three of those things, but you have to do the base first. Yes. And the exactly. base and the base is a hell of a lot heavier. And if the yeah. base, the, if the base isn't constructed correctly, it can't support the other two. So yes. like that's, <laughs> that's the way to think about it. I love that analogy, actually, because I have this visual right now of like the top of a pyramid built on like just this absolute ramshackle mess of like a bottom and a middle and just things just teetering all over the place and just collapsing through yeah. like sticks and, and uh, yeah. Absolutely. That, and again, pardon the analogy if it's not great, but it, it happens all the time. Yeah. That happens all the time. So to summarize everything we talked about, 
a first thing we did was talk about what holistic leadership is, why it matters, why it's important. Um, the second thing we did is we kind of explored the landscape a little bit. Um, the fact that management is everywhere, but leadership from the standpoint of holistic leadership doesn't seem to be as common. What's going on? What are our motivations? Why don't we focus more upstream? Um, and, and sort of, again, painting the picture of reality as, as we see it today. And then finally, we closed up with what is the antidote? What are some things you can actually do? What do leaders need to focus on? How do you actually transition from a process-focused world to a holistic world? Um, and, uh, and, and what does it mean to actually make that transformation? Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, holistic leadership is something very close to our hearts. And I hope you, in, uh, hope you enjoyed this. Hope you got something out of it. As always, send us feedback. Um, we'd love to hear from you and we will see you next time. This has been the Valarin Perspective. We'd love to hear your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. That's V-A-L-A-R-I-N consulting.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Valarin Inc.